The Trek Files, Season 9, Episode 13, James Dewan Interview, May 1982. Welcome to The Trek Files, a look into the archives of Roddenberry Entertainment from the personal files of Gene Roddenberry. And now your host, Dr. Trek, Larry Nemechek. Well, welcome back all you Star Trek fans, all you <laughs> all you Trekophiles, spelled with an F, uh, especially you folks who love um, the meta of the franchise. We're gonna we're dive back into some um, some relics from the files from the 1980s, actually. So you know what to do. Go check out our uh, our documents over on our page, facebook.com slash the Trek Files. Can't wait to dive into this. We have a, um, a previous guest who's one of our favorites, one of my favorites. Here's an audio sample and then hang around. We'll be right back with this week's guest. Scotty is otherwise known as veteran screen, television, stage, and radio actor James Doohan. It is not hard for one to see much of Jimmy's personality in the character of Scotty. Both are friendly and outgoing. Star Trek fans will once again see their beloved Scotsman back in action when on June 4th, Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan premieres. We talked with Jimmy about his career, the new movie, and the character he made famous, Scotty. Ah, uh, yes, Star Trek fans. There was a time when you could talk about The Wrath of Khan as the new movie coming out. It was a heady time. A lot of controversy going on, but a lot of, a lot of growth for Star Trek. Uh, I found this document in the files, and I couldn't help... <laughs> I couldn't. I could not pass up the chance to talk about this this uh, copy of the original Star Trek fan club magazine with the guy who did it and did it for well, what twenty years? Over twenty years. My good friend and a previous guest on the Trek Files, Dan Madsen, get in here and uh, thank you so much for joining us again. Hey, thanks, Larry. It's always good to be with you. Well, it's good to be with you too. So I just have to ask, uh, we, 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 this is issue, what, 26 yeah. from May, 1982. Um, what came to mind? I, I want to talk about this. I know the history. I want you to share it. I want to talk about today versus then and how things have changed and how they're the difference, but what came to mind when you glanced at this, we're looking at the first half of this issue, the Jimmy do an interview. What came to mind when you saw it again? What what came to mind for me was um, number one how long ago that was and how old I'm getting. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and number two, what a great time that was. Um, you know, Star Trek fandom was was just it, it, with with Rathacon heading down the road. Everyone was really getting excited about it. As you said, there was some controversy about it, but. That was back in the days when I had just really early on started the the fan club, and and really there was only one person on it, working on it, and that was me. Um, and I had gone to a uh, a convention, I believe it was in St. Louis, 
um, where Jimmy Doohan was. And I interviewed him in person at that convention. And I, I just had such a fond, fond memory of, of spending that time with him. It was the first time I had ever interviewed him. And mm-hmm. he was just so warm and welcoming me to me. And, you know, I was nervous and he knew that and he, he made me feel comfortable. Um, and, and, and funny because he was also, uh, I, I remember, I don't remember everybody else as a guest at that convention, but Susan Sackett was a guest at that convention. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, um, yeah, it was, uh, that was, that those were my initial thoughts when I first saw that it was, uh, such a fond memory. And, uh, also at how primitive it was back <laughs> compared to what it eventually became, you know, um, it, uh, it, it, it held a lot of fond memories for me. Well, that's a that's a thing when we pull something like, you know, as opposed to a letter or a document or a script, when we pull something like um, the fan club magazine uh, and there's several levels to get into here about both the content and about what was going on in the world and in fandom and you know just technology and media. But let's we had you on before. We talked about how you were a fan Hey, you put out your own newsletter inspired by the motion picture, although you'd been a fan since famously. Remind us what's your favorite episode, what got your attention? Plato's stepchildren. Yeah, that's a yeah. that's a story I've told a hundred times, but it, it that was the very first episode I ever mm-hmm. saw. Yeah, I was a fan from the original series reruns long before Ratha Khan ever came around. Right. Right. But I also love the story of how you your newsletter was one. So many people were inspired to jump in and and do newsletters. And yours was good enough that you were about to get a cease and desist letter (laughs) from Paramount. That's absolutely true. In fact, I uh, I um, uh, I I got a letter from them saying, uh, you know, you're doing this without a license. Uh, And I immediately there was a phone number on the letter. And I immediately got on the phone with them and I called them up and I said, Hey, I'm just a kid doing this out of my parents' basement. Um, you know, I'm, I, uh, uh, I, I'm not making any money off of this. And they said, well, you know, you have the right amount of professionalism mixed with the right amount of fanaticism that we've been looking for. And, uh, why don't you fly out here and we can discuss possibly giving you a license to make you official and, the rest is history, as, as they might say. Yeah. Well, and this was such a new thing that, um, I mean, Star Wars had been out and kind of carried the torch for where Star Trek had, had helped set it, had it spark it. But licensing is usually toys and merchandise and clothing and all that, and things like magazines and the book license obviously was going. But information, that's what uh, intrigues me, because you did start off with just basic typed Sheets. I remember we did Communicator, the the eventual magazine. When we got to a hundred and fifty issues, mm-hmm. we did a compilation of all the front covers, and starting with the early uh, number one was actually just a, and for a while was some just newsletter copy, uh, you know, typed copies like this, and it, you could see how it evolved into this stage. But you're only a couple of years in here, right? That's right. Yeah, and you know, it started out. Back in the days when uh, uh, the motion picture came out, and, and literally it was Xeroxed. I mean, I'd sit mm-hmm. on a typewriter, and I'd type it all up, 
and I paste a few pictures in there, and then I take it. That's, to, when you say Xerox, younger listeners, we mean photocopied. Photocopies. <laughs> photocopies then were not like they are today. Trust me. Uh, yeah. But yeah, so this was only a couple years into it, but at this point, um, it um, it was not being photocopied; it was being actually printed. Um, and and the beauty of that was that I had gotten a job at a print shop, um, and so they let me work there. Um, and in return, I they would print my newsletters for me. Yes, we're talking paper and ink. Well, see, but you had an in, so you were able to. Uh... To, to to do that, so I'm I'm looking at this, and we're we're focusing on the the um, the the personal part, the interview, yeah. because in those days, and we have to go, you know, obviously before the internet. But how did you know when you think about a newsletter? Uh, there's so much to talk here, but people were hungry. They didn't have the internet. They didn't even have um, Entertainment Tonight doing <laughs> package stories the way we, you know, it literally we were on a on a paper and stamp. Mm -hmm. uh, generation, right? That's absolutely right. And in fact, um, the the first place I advertised the fan club was in uh, the classified ad section of Starlog, mm -hmm. and that's when I first started getting my uh, the the very early members to the fan club were from ads that I had placed in Starlog, and um, you know it started slow and uh, it, it didn't grow that fast in the beginning and. Uh, I don't know at the at the stage that that newsletter came out, the one with Jimmy's interview that we're talking about. Um, I might have had two hundred, two hundred and fifty uh, subscribers at that point, um, and um, it was you know it was small, it was humble, it was just me. Uh, I and and I was able to everything you see in that issue. I did everything. I shot photos. Um, and burned the plates and made the negatives of it. I I sat at the type setting machine because there weren't the computers weren't designing stuff like they are now. So I literally had to sit at a type setting machine and type in everything, mm -hmm. and it would come out on this like type setting paper paper. And then I would trim it, and then I had a layout board, and I had to literally wax the back of that. Mm -hmm setting paper and then I would move it around get it straight with a with a square and you know cut a window for where the pictures were going to go in I mean it was literally a one-man job at that point not only from the interview to the transcribing of it to the typing on the typesetting machine and then when it came off the press I did all of the stitching with the the staples um, and such and I did all the stuffing in the envelopes and I did all the mailing. I would uh, take it down to the post office and mail it off. So yeah, it oh, wow. was a one man job. Well, let's pull back here a second. You mentioned Starlog. So Starlog had to get its own act together. No one believed that a science fiction magazine professionally would go. So in 82, it had really only been out about four or five years and was gradually growing. And then the studio, you were a good experiment. Mm -hmm. Right. Again, you weren't a shirt or a book or a model kit. Right. So I'm just wondering when you're a one man band, you can say, hey, I'm licensed. Mm -hmm. And we're only talking about the original series cast mm -hmm. and the first two movies. Mm -hmm. 
So there weren't a sea of creative people and actors to approach. So what was that like? Did you, when you, when you got in touch with Jimmy, had you talked to him? But you, well, you said this was your first interview here. As you were going to the cast in the original days, in the early days, did it help to say, hey, I'm from the licensed Star Trek newsletter? Or did no one care? Or did that have any cachet? I'm just wondering what it was like as you gradually got around to all the original cast and the creatives in the early days. That did have some cachet being the official. And as I got a little more professional and the newsletters started looking a little more professional, mm -hmm. that was when um, Paramount started putting me in touch with the publicists working on the movies. That's and what I wondered. particular yeah. one, I worked on our good friend, Eddie Egan. He, mm -hmm. Eddie Egan was really helpful for me. He became a good friend. He, uh, he was the publicist there at Paramount. And um, he hadn't been there for much for very long at the time I was working with him. And, you know, he helped me set up interviews. Uh, I, I think we did the very first interview with Kirstie Alley, and that was through Eddie Egan, helped set that up. Um, and uh, But with Jimmy, um, I had planned to go to this convention in St. Louis, and um, I, I was going there to help promote the club. And so I just kind of told Jimmy who I was, what I was doing. And he he said, no worries. Absolutely. Let's do it after this. We had a, there was a press conference going on uh, with him and Susan Sackett. And then after it was over, um, he grabbed a drink and we went over to the side mm -hmm. uh, where there was nobody around. And we sat there for, I don't know, 30, 45 minutes and had my little tape recorder sitting there in between us. And uh, and we did the interview. And it was just like I said, it was. Uh, and I had interviewed him many times after that. Sure. Um, and he was always such a, such an amazingly nice guy. I, you know, I was, I really um, mourned the, his passing because he, he was one of my favorites. Well, on one hand, we're talking about the technology, the media, the landscape, and then also the actors and the other Star Trek, you know, family. Everything was still so new. It's yes. only been about nine, ten years since the first Star Trek convention. Again, mm -hmm. everything is still fresh and new. Being you know, questions hadn't been asked a million times. That's do, right. Do you? And then you had this for another twenty years after mm -hmm. after this, and working in Star Wars and the Indiana Jones, you know the the Lucasfilm. Looking back at these simpler days, do you miss any of this? Do you? Do you? Is it like it's good and bad the way things evolved? What what comes to mind when you see where we are today? Even you know, with with me, fan media and just the twenty four seven of of everything digital is great. But do you do you miss those simpler days? I do, I do, Larry. I got to be honest. I do miss those simpler days because uh, it, it was special back then. I still say it was special to be a Star Trek fan during those times because you know there wasn't this stuff plastered all over the internet. You didn't have negative and positive going on um and so it was it was really a special time to be a star trek fan and after the motion picture came out i mean there was a lot of talk about whether there would even be another star trek movie um and then when the announcement came about the wrath of khan and i had heard early rumors about you know them bringing back khan and i thought wow wouldn't that be a cool subject matter to to wrap a star mm -hmm. trek around um and you know uh, when i started the fan club at this point 
I, I think I said, I, I, you know, I advertised in the classified sections in Starlog. And that was because I, there was no way I could afford any sort of a, a display ad in the magazine, not even a quarter page. I mean, it was way beyond my means. So the only thing I could afford was a yeah. classified ad. And, and, and I did that for several issues in a row. Um, and that's what I was doing at the time that this particular issue came out. Do you have it? Is any other memory of the actors, I guess, in the earlier days or later, um, your first meetings, any infamous moments when you're tracking? Because that was a hallmark of the magazine. This yeah. was the only way people, aside from maybe Starlog, but th this was the only way people uh, were able to, to, to experience actors if they never got to see them, you know, live at a convention or even read a newsletter transcribed well, know, panel those, appearance. In those early days, um, I was still living at home and I set up an interview with Nichelle Nichols um, and I gave her my number. She said, I'll call you. And so I gave her my number to call. It was our home number. And I had my recorder all hooked up to the phone. And I specifically told my mom, who was home at this time, I said, don't pick up the phone. It's Nichelle Nichols is going to call any minute and I'll answer it. Well, what happens? My mom answers the phone. And Michelle says, is, is this Dan Madsen's residence? And my mom said, why, yes, it is. And she said, well, this is Michelle Nichols. Oh, Michelle, how are you? It's so nice. And next thing I know, they start chatting for about five minutes. And I'm up there, I'm in the other room going, oh, God, oh, no, 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 mom, you weren't supposed to answer the phone. And, uh, and they just had the best chat. And after I was done with her interview, she said how much she loved my mom. She, uh, when I had the interview come out and I sent her a copy, she sent me this really lovely letter back, which I still have. Mm -hmm. And she says, I just so much enjoyed talking to your mom. Please tell her I said hello. And every time, Larry, every time after that, I ever saw Nichelle at a convention, she would always say to me, how's your mom doing? How's your mom doing? She is such a lovely woman. So uh, that that's, that's what happens when you're running your fan club out of the, the, the basement in your mom and dad's house. You know what? You know what flashed in my mind. What I could see you stewing about your mom on the phone. I had a flashback to the kid at the end of Galaxy Quest who's trying to save the universe, but he has to go out and, and, and take out the trash. <laughs> mom, don't you understand? Yeah, no, that's exactly right. You're, you're that's yeah. your description. No, this one little note that's not part of the Jimmy interview, but here on page six, I love this because it's exactly where you were. Attention, members. With the release of the new Star Trek film, we're launching an all-new massive membership drive. We want you to send 100 flyers to pass out at the theater on opening, wherever they were around the country, right? Uh, did, how did this work out? It's, this is so cool to read this. It's a reminder of how you went viral in the old days <laughs> with paper and ink. This how did this work out? This was in the trenches, man. I'm telling you. This is... This is uh... I literally had, I think it was 2,500 flyers printed up at, um, at my uh, print shop that I worked at. And, uh, I, and anybody who asked me, I packed them up. I sent them out 100 flyers. And uh, I had my good buddy, when Rathacon opened, I still remembered as vivid as yesterday. They had opened up at a mall theater um, here. And we went up and there was a line, as you can imagine, going all the way out down the the way to try to get in to see the movie on the, on the opening day. And uh, for that entire day, for every screening, 
we just went up and down the lines handing out flyers handing out flyers handing out flyers and uh yeah and that 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 was i think i don't remember how many people offered to do that but it was quite a few because we ultimately got rid of all of our 2500 flyers and they went all over the country and that's how people helped us get the name out there so we were, did you skew local to denver and in aurora in the beginning i did myself because that's where i am but, yeah, but i mean the, the membership role did oh, it yes or it, did you have it had a larger membership base in the colorado area because of where i was and the, we could do more marketing mm -hmm. here locally but um but no it, it didn't take too long before it started we started getting members all over the country Dan, listen, this is such a gem. I'm so glad we found this because I know the archives are a little scattered now. I'm glad we found this issue and we're only halfway through. Could I could I talk you into coming back and looking at the other half of the magazine, which is about news? Absolutely, Larry. I'm always happy to come back. Okay. Well, I'm going to hold you to that, Dan. Thanks. Hey, everybody. The Truck Files is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. All of our documents and your chance to comment are available at facebook.com slash the Trek Files. Now for more deep diving of Star Trek behind the scenes, visit Dr. Trek and Portal 47. Uh, yes, that's me <laughs> at larrynimichek.com. That's where you can also link in for all the new Trek Files swag and shirts at our Tee Public shop too. Trek well, everybody. This is a Roddenberry podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.roddenberry.com.